This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part six of our summer series, Growing Together in God's Household. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, and especially I wanted to go to the moon, in part because I thought it was made out of frosting. Um, And even when freshman year interplanetary astronomy dispelled that misunderstanding, uh, I, I still really wanted to go to the moon. Apollo 13 was my favorite movie in middle school, and not just because of the unstoppable combination of Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise. If NASA came to me today and said, we, ha- we want you to go on a two-week mission to the moon one year from now, but in order for that to happen, you have to move with your family down to Houston and be part of daily exercises and trainings to get you ready and prepared for space travel, would you do that? I would say, yes, of course, that would be awesome, trip of a lifetime. Think of some dream that you've had, maybe to be a starting member of a championship sports team or a part of a rock band that's sailing at the top of the charts, or in the case of Father Stephen, a world-renowned skateboarder. Um, (laughs) And if someone came to you with magical powers and said, one year from now, that will be you, as long as... Every day from now until then, I want you to do a little bit of training. Will you say yes to that? You'd say, of course I would say yes to that. Who wouldn't do that? So in your bulletin or in your Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy. We're in a summer sermon series working our way, surely but steadily, through Paul's letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor that Paul was mentoring and apprenticing in the ways of pastoring. And in chapter 4, Paul says in verse 7, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. And in this passage and in really this letter, he doesn't exactly describe what godliness is. So here's some thoughts. Um, Godliness is having a focus on the things of God, a kingdom focus, a desire that your life would be pleasing to God. Godliness is God-likeness, becoming like God. And there's that verse in 1 John where he says, anyone who claims to live in Jesus must walk as he walked. And it was that verse that was the inspiration for the WWJD bracelets that were really popular when I was in high school. The idea that if you're going to claim to be a Christian, your life should start to look more and more like Jesus. So in short, here's the definition of godliness. Becoming more and more like Jesus every day and desiring the kingdom of God. In this passage, Paul is saying godliness is the goal. Work hard for it. Strive for it. Spend your energy for that goal. No other goal is worth it. He uses physical training as Uh, a metaphor as a model. He says physical training is good in verse 8. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So physical training is good, but it only pertains to this life. Whatever you do for your body, however buff you get, you don't take that with you. Um, That doesn't mean, by the way, that we won't be physical beings in heaven. We will have bodies in heaven. We are physical, spiritual beings. That's how God made us. It's just that on the day of resurrection, you will be given a new resurrection body. So I will be able to 
to pump 300 pounds at the bench press on the resurrection day. So for the rest of this passage, Paul uses athletic metaphor and athletic training to talk about spiritual training. So in preparation for this sermon, I spoke to a few friends, uh, folks from our church. Artie Culver is uh, the assistant basketball coach over at Wheaton College. I talked to my friend Chad, who's a physical trainer. And also I talked to one of my coworkers, uh, whose son is a professional athlete. Uh, his sport is professional paintballing. And my coworker was a little embarrassed about that because some people might not think that that's really a sport. So he preferred to remain anonymous. So I said, okay, no problem, Matt. I won't tell everybody that it's your son that we're talking about. As I talked to all these folks, it became really clear to me uh, that there are two main components to sports training or athletic training. And they're simple. You have a goal and you work hard for it. So goal plus working hard equals training. So what we're going to talk about today from this passage, what is the goal for spiritual training? So that's what we're going to talk about first. And then what does it mean to work hard and strive towards that goal? So first, what's the goal? Well, to have a goal means that you have an aim, you have a focus, you have a direction, you have a target. Artie shared with me that intentionality is um, a very key component to physical training. So working with the end or, or the goal in mind will affect and change the way that you as an individual and you as a team train and prepare. You're thinking about the goal. There was an interview with LeBron James who just won the, the NBA championship with his team, the Cavaliers. This interview took place a little less than a year ago at the beginning of this past season. And if you recall, a year ago, he had just lost in the finals to the Warriors. So he's coming off of, of getting in the finals, but not quite winning the championship. And so this interview was about his training regimen because it was a really uh, rigorous training schedule that he was on. And he said, well, I, I know that the championship is in sight. We were so close last year. And he said, and I also know I'm not getting any younger and I'm not as fit and healthy as I was when I was a rookie. So to compensate, I've upped my training regimen to be three times a day, five days a week. And it worked. Just last week, they won themselves a championship. And his goal of being an NBA champion in this season kept him focused and it kept his aim during his exercise and his training. It's what motivated him. So here in verse 7, Paul says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. He's saying, don't get distracted. Keep the aim and the focus on the things of God. It's far too easy, even in the church, to get pulled down into things that don't have to do with the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying here to Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. In your personal life, right, he says in verse 16, keep a good watch on yourself, but also in your teaching, don't stray from the main thing. So like LeBron training towards that championship, Paul's saying to Timothy and to us, train your souls toward being more and more like Jesus. Every day, growing more and more like him, and don't lose sight of that singular, all-encompassing goal. 
Another way to talk about the goal of godliness is there in verse 10. He says, for to this end, or this goal, we toil and we strive. And he's referring to godliness. So we're, we're striving and toiling for godliness because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So here he's saying, we have our hope set, or our target, our aim is set where? On the living God. It'd be sort of like if two guys were on a hunting trip up in Alaska and they're sitting in the shack ready to, to go out and, and hunt, and one guy says, I'm here for, for grizzly bears. What are you hunting? And the other guy is like, I'm hunting for the living God. You'll be like, oh, wow. Uh, what kind of ammo do you use for that? <laughs> Try that next time somebody asks you, what's your goal in life? What's your goal in life? The living God. This is our target. This is our aim that we're living for, that we spend all of our strength and energy for. And one of my favorite scriptures uh, is the final chapter of Revelation, where the heavenly city is described, and it says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Never forget that the target that you're aiming for, the destination, the end goal, is to see the face of your Father in heaven, the living God, whom no eye has yet seen. You will see it. You will see him. Along similar lines, we see in verse 8 that godliness has value for this life, but also for the life to come. So Paul is pointing us to the future life, to heaven. Every week in the Eucharist liturgy, we heard it prayed, and at the last day, bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. But I want to ask you, honestly, how often do you think about heaven? How often does the thought of heaven motivate your actions, your words? How often does the thought of heaven stir you in your heart, in your imagination? Have you ever been taught by anybody not to hope for heaven? Or that you should not think about heaven too much because you might be escapist if you do? And so you've begun to be a little bit ashamed of hoping for heaven. Or I think sometimes a barrier uh, between us and, and hoping for heaven and having a robust, authentic, and genuine hope for heaven is this unspoken fear, but you've all had it, that what if heaven is boring? You've, you've all wondered that. Uh-huh, yes, thank you, I know. It's true. But whenever I get in that place, I just remember, heaven is the home of the living God whom no eye has seen, the living God. And this is the same God who came up with things like mountains and thunderstorms were his idea, and mangoes and the color green and the idea of friendship, and all human love, and everything good that we experience in this life, that we receive with thanksgiving, is a sign and a foretaste, just a small picture of the good things to come in the life of the world to come. Do not be ashamed to hope for heaven. And the reason also that you do not need to be ashamed to hope for heaven, that you can have courage to hope 
for heaven and to encourage other people to hope for heaven is that when you are inspired by the vision of the kingdom of God in the life of the world to come, what happens is eventually something changes in here and you want to work and you want to pray now to see that kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. And that's what keeps us from being escapist. We say, that's so good, we want it now. And God says, yes, pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. For that too is our goal, the goal of godliness. Wanting with all your might and all your strength for the kingdom of God to fill your life, to fill this church, to fill the lives of the people around you. That's an exciting goal. It's even more exciting than going to the moon, I would think. Though I'm still holding out for hope that someday some really rich couple will want to get married on the moon and they'll need some astronaut priest to go with them. It could happen. It's more likely than me winning an NBA championship at this point. So the first part of training, having the goal. And our goal, godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus every day and desiring the kingdom of heaven. So then the second part is the training, the working hard, the striving, the toiling. So let's talk about hard work. How do athletes train? Well, here's some more tips from my athletic friends and the anonymous co-worker's son. Uh, First, they said, and this was common to all of them, repetition of the basics and consistency. Repetition of the basics and consistency. So every day you work on the fundamentals. Yeah, when the basketball team hits the court, what's the first thing they do? Anybody know? Layups. Okay, not three-pointers, not 15-foot jumpers. Layups. Uh, They're working on the fundamentals. Even the pros, they hit the court, first thing, layups. So for us, uh, what is our fundamental? What, is, what, is our base, what are our basics that we must return to again and again and again to repeat the basics uh, consistently every day? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that God really does love us. Yes, even us sinners. And he has come for us to call us into love and relationship with himself and to make us holy. This is the message of the gospel, and it's what you are here on this planet to tell other people before you die. Tell them that God loves them. That's all. Tell people that God loves them and he wants relationship with them. But you know what? You can't give to others what you don't have. So if you're not receiving the love of God, if you are still doubting and struggling with the idea that God loves you, that's the fundamental that you need to come back to every day, the gospel. There have been seasons in my life where I have seriously felt like if I wasn't hearing the gospel preached to me three times a day, I'm not sure I would have even stayed a Christian. We need that encouragement and that reminder. God really does love you. This, by the way, is why we do need to prayerfully engage with the scriptures, to have a life of prayer, to have a life in the word of God, because it's the Bible that reminds us of the good news. And being consistently in the scriptures is what gives us that image of the one that we are striving to become. It was uh, earlier we were talking about seeing God's face. 
Augustine said, the scriptures are the face of God for now. The scriptures are the face of God for now. So when you come to the scriptures, you are seeking to behold the face of God. Uh, I was talking with Val McIntyre, our deacon, earlier this week, and she, she said coming off a year of pretty intense ministry, she was taking, taking a good look at herself, and she realized that her belief in the redemptive power of the cross was right about here, and her sense of human suffering and sin in the world was right about here. She said, that was a problem, because it, I, I couldn't, with courage and with joy, minister the love of God and the power of the cross because I was feeling like the power of sin and suffering was greater. She said, so I had to take some time to look deeply into the gospel, to spend time with the Lord in his scriptures, and through meditating on the basics, on the fundamentals, uh, she even had a powerful time of just literally picturing the cross and seeing Jesus there and the Father upholding him in his moment of death. And as she's doing this, day by day, slowly her belief and her power in the cross of Jesus to redeem, to overtake and to conquer any sin and human suffering was again restored. And it's because she focused on the basics, the fundamentals. In verse 15, Paul says, immerse yourself. Practice these things. Another athletic metaphor, like the athletes who practice every day. Immerse yourself in these things and practice them. Now, in the gym, there are a variety of ways to train. There are all kinds of different weight machines. You can swim in the pool. You can run around the track. You can run outside. There are a variety of ways to train physically. There are also a variety of ways to train spiritually. There, there are all kinds of ways to creatively engage and genuinely engage in the Scriptures. Then it might be that something that you did and you were taught maybe when you were younger in youth group uh, doesn't... Uh, have the same energy and, and genuineness to you, then it's okay to look for a new way to engage the scriptures. And that's where talking to your friends and your brothers and sisters or talking to a pastor or a leader here in church is a great way to start thinking about how do I creatively engage the Word of God and how do I creatively have a life of prayer. You can also put in a plug for res groups in the fall. That's a great way to do the, both of those things, scripture and prayer. But that training principle was repetition of the basics and consistency every day. That's what matters. Also, as I'm talking to my friends uh, from the athletic world, they say, look, there's no way around it. At the end of the day, training is hard work. It takes max effort and sacrifice. And there in verse 10, where Paul says, to this end we toil and strive. The Greek there for toil means to grow weary and the word for strive is agonizo, from which we get agonize, and, it, and it's uh, used to describe a runner in the race who is spending his last energy to win the race and to reach that finish line. He's leaving it all out on the court or all out on the racetrack, giving everything he's got for that goal. So Paul is saying, grow weary and spend all of your energy and all of your strength for the kingdom of God. Artie also talked with me, he talked about this idea of, of max effort. And he said, uh, in, in practice, the players are always looking for the lowest acceptable threshold in the training exercises. So if they get a sense that 
when they're doing sprints or weightlifting or whatever, if, if coach is going to be all right with a seven, they'll aim for a seven, right? Just get the bare minimum so that I can get by. But it's the coach's job to look at them and say, and the players that he knows individually, are you sure you don't have an eight? I think you got an eight today. Or I, I think I see a 10 in you. Give me a 10. I know you can do this. Show me what you can do. You can do more. That's the coach's job. And Artie also said that finding your, your max effort, that, that limit, actually requires failure. That you don't know you've reached your limit until you failed. And like with the bench press, you know you've hit your limit when you can't get the bar up anymore. So failure is not a bad thing. It's actually part of what helps us understand spiritual training. So let that be encouraging to you if you've ever thought, oh, I, I wish... I had more energy for the things of God. I, I, I wish I was striving a little bit harder. That actually means you might be in a good place if you're desiring more than you have right now. A bad place would be, yeah, I don't do anything and I don't really care. I'd rather go play Xbox or something. That would be a more dangerous place to be in. So hard work, toil, striving, requires sacrifice. In that interview with Le LeBron, the interviewer asked him, so along your path to success, was there anything that you had to give up and lay down? And he said, well, before I went pro, when I was younger, I would always treat myself to McDonald's lunch on game day. And then there came a point before I went pro that I decided I, I can't do that anymore. I can't play a game with McDonald's in my stomach. But he said, I got to give up that treat, that thing that I really enjoy, because there's something more important that's worth it. So training is one part having the goal. It's another part striving, working, throwing all of your energy into it, leaving nothing back, working with all your might. And so it's at this point, it's really important that I pause and clarify something uh, because you could hear those words, strive, work hard, toil, spend all of your energy and start to get nervous uh, and think, what if, what if I fail at that? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't strive hard enough? What will that mean? So it's important to clarify that the goal of our striving is not to earn God's love. It's rather a way for us to show our love. Our striving is not to earn God's love. It's simply a response out of all that he's done for us. We say, I will give everything for you. There's no other goal that I'd rather work for. Now, if I ask most Christians, can you earn your salvation? Most Christians have been taught from a very early age, no, you can't earn your salvation. You depend on Jesus alone for salvation. Good to go. But at the same time, I think so many Christians, while they know they can't earn their salvation, they live their life and they think of the spiritual life, I have to earn God's love and approval. And depending on how well I'm doing, how hard I'm working, or whether I'm doing enough, that sort of is my level of acceptance and approval with God. I just want to say that I don't think the word enough is really in God's vocabulary. It's really more in the devil's vocabulary. Yeah, you're not doing enough. That's not enough. Instead, we are so rooted in the love of God, so secure and so free that that love is not something that we 
could ever earn. It's not something that could be bought. Sort of like in the Song of Solomon's when they say, people would laugh if a man offered his fortune for the love of a woman. And how much more the love of God. If we offer our gifts and our striving in order to earn God's love, that's not how it works. Instead, God is saying, I love you with the fullness of love that cannot be bought. So here's a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance. Ready? There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more than he already does. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more than he already does. And on the other side, if you fall short and you, you do fail in your pursuit of godliness and your striving, that won't make him love you any less. It's impossible. And I think there's a phrase from the Psalms particularly that is, is worth memorizing and holding on to and never forgetting whenever Satan is tempting you to forget this. And it's the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. It never runs out. It never stops for you. And everything that we do, whether it's visiting our neighbor who's shut in and bringing a meal to them or, or saying a kind word to somebody or being thankful and grateful to our spouse when we've had a hard day, and even opening up the scriptures to, to come to meet the Lord, every little thing we do for the love of God, not to earn his love, to show his love. And that's a great prayer to also pray. Whenever you do anything, just say, Lord, I do this for the love of you. This is for the love of you. You're worth more than I could ever give. You're worth more than I ever have. But what I have, I give to you. I do this small thing for the love of you. And that's the heart that's set free because we know God's love for us. Also, if you look at the tone of the passage that we read, if you go back and you look it over, you realize that the tone is not Paul coming down on Timothy and saying, you are not working hard enough. You, you need to run fast. You need to go faster. Up your game, Timothy, because this ain't cutting it. Rather, his voice is like that of the coach saying, I see a 10 in you. Can you give me a little bit more? I think you can do more. Strive. What else would you want to spend your life for? So as we come to a close today, our goal is clear. It's godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus every day and desiring the things of the kingdom. And our task is clear, to strive and to toil, to spend our last energy for the kingdom of God. And as I was thinking about this sermon and is, was there anything that God in particular would want to say, um, I, I believe that he would want to speak a prophetic word to us as a church. And he'd say, here's how I want you to think about that phrase, train yourself for godliness. I think Jesus would say, think about it this way. Awaken your imagination for the kingdom of God. And I get really excited. I get stirred thinking about what if you as individuals, and we together as a congregation more and more have an expanded imagination for the kingdom of God. What it would look like for God's kingdom to fill our lives, to fill this church, to fill our community and the lives around us. I think that's something that Jesus would love to do, to come and expand our imagination for the kingdom of God, to train us for godliness. So, today through the rest of the service, there might be something 
that God is laying on your heart, a sacrifice he's asking you to make, something he's asking you to lay down. It might be that that's clear to you already. It might be that that kind of comes in and settles later on as we're in communion and worship. Or it might be that here today you're simply needing to hear that voice of the Holy Spirit, that coach saying, I see an eight. I see a nine. I see a ten. Can you give me a ten? Not to get down on you, but to say, you can go faster. You can. Because wherever we are at, all of us um, can have that prayer, Jesus, expand my imagination. Awaken my imagination for the kingdom of God. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.